You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Good morning, and welcome to Connections radio show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that Get us thinking, get us imagining, get us feeling, having a really good conversation and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we made the connection. So today I'm very excited because I am going to be sharing with you, with my terrific co-host. I have a co-host today. His name is Peter Ratcliffe. He is the co-executive director of the East Side Freedom Library. I went to visit it, and it is an amazing place. Not only is this a beautiful library, an old Carnegie library, it is filled with mission and purpose and ideas and history and stories. And I want you to have the opportunity to consider going to the Eastside Freedom Library. And if you don't go, you are experiencing the Eastside Freedom Library by just being part of the conversation today. Because Peter brings to life all the ideas, the mission, the challenges, the events that are coming up. And he is going to be a mainstay in the year to come. So we're, we're very grateful to have you as a co-host, Peter. Thank you, Lori. I'm just delighted uh, to be able to participate. Well, we've got a lot of good things to talk about. That we do. So I've got here that the East Side Freedom Library, its mission is to inspire solidarity, advocate justice, and work toward equality for all. The library houses non-circulating research collections that appeal to interested general learners as well as scholars with innovative databases and finding aids that making using the collections fun and vital. And I can say for sure it is fun and vital. I sat on a rocking chair and we envisioned opportunities for the future. Um, and story is the major theme. So tell me about how did this all get started? What kind of dream did you have to help create this as the co-executive director? Well, uh, my partner, Beth Cleary, who is also the other founding co-executive director, um, she and I have lived on the east side of St. Paul uh, in a neighborhood called Dayton's Bluff uh, for more than 20 years. And in the time that we've lived in the neighborhood, we've seen things change in complicated ways. We've seen deindustrialization take a toll. More than 15,000 unionized blue-collar jobs disappeared from the east side. And many of the people, most of them white, who held those jobs moved away as well. And as they moved away, they were replaced by incoming immigrants of color from Southeast Asia, Central America, and East Africa, in some ways following the long historical script of the East Side, being a place where new immigrants tend to arrive, get established, build some organizations and capacity, gain some skills in education, and then often move on uh, to other neighborhoods. So that's been going on for 150 years. That isn't new. <laughs> that isn't new. But in the, in the moment of the late 20th and early 21st century, um, the transition from an overwhelmingly white, blue-collar neighborhood to an increasingly diverse neighborhood of immigrants of color, many of them working in health care, service sector, retail jobs, jobs that are often assumed to be low-paying and insecure, struggling to get a foothold. Uh, and to build capacity for themselves and their children. And we experienced that transition as a very rocky one, and one where many of the older white people in the neighborhood, who were really in pain about their children and grandchildren moving away, um, they were not receptive to the new people coming in. And, and the last thing that crossed their minds was the many ways that the new people moving in were like their parents and grandparents. The immigrants. The the immigrants, immigrants right. Like the immigrants who had come from Sweden or Germany or Ireland or Italy or Poland or Yugoslavia. Very, very similar reasons for immigrating, 
very similar challenges, language, culture, education, occupation. And we, Beth and I, really wanted to create a place where people could share their stories with each other across what our culture tends to say are impermeable boundaries, and that if they could build bridges across those boundaries, they would discover how much they actually had in common rather than how different they seemed to be, and that as they discovered their commonalities, they might begin to build solidarity and organize together to organize unions, community organizations, political organizations, the many ways that they might organize to become more the agents of their own lives rather than the objects of other people's decisions. So by sharing each other's story and understanding each other's story, it brings down the barriers. Yes, absolutely. And what was at one point considered the other Mm -hmm. and that great sense of other, the us versus them, um, gets translated into an us. Yes, yeah. We're right in the middle of a little project uh, that we call East Side Stories, um, funded by the Marbrook uh, Foundation. And uh, we are um, training high school kids, most of them immigrants and refugees, how to do oral history interviews and how to edit those interviews into three to five minute videos. And and so there's a kind of cohort of Karen kids who come out of the English language learning program at Washington High School. And they are interviewing Latinos and Anglos and people who are in their 70s and 80s, and they're creating beautiful videos that tell those people's stories. And we will have a festival in October of the videos that these kids have made. Now, have they made these through their smartphones, or did you give them special technology to help them do uh, this? With the support of the grant, we mm-hmm. were able to go to certain businesses and purchase high-quality iBooks and cameras and uh, microphones. And so we, we've really put great technology in front of these kids. And they take to it like ducks to water. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's amazing because young people, are, it is almost a natural extension of who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like I'm an immigrant to technology. <laughs> right, yes. And for them, yes. they're all natives to the yes. to the technology right. world. Right. And what they can discover and celebrate in, in being able to have, to capture those conversations. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm and then it will all be shared with the wider community when we have a festival of these little videos. And, and then we'll archive the videos on our website, um, and, and I do want people listening to know that we have a great website at eastsidefreedomlibrary.org, and they'll be able to access these videos and look at them themselves. And you bring up that there's an event that you'll host when this is all done. You host quite a few different events. Tell me yeah, about the I type think, of events. Know, four, four or five nights a week, uh, we've, we've got something going on. Um, in this coming month of September, uh, we'll have a number of literary events with authors, both discussing their work and also talking about their techniques of writing. Um, this Writers for Peace group that's been working at the Loft is going to do a hands-on workshop. Um, so they're not just going to present their work, but they're going to engage the audience in writing exercises. Um, we have a wonderful author who's coming from South Africa, Sasanki Emsamang, at the end of September. Um, we're also working with organizations like Move to Amend, who will have a workshop each week in the month of September um, about what is democracy and how can people materialize democracy and, and make it work. Um, we have uh, musical events. Um, we have an open jam session on the second Sunday night of every month. 
Uh, we have a jazz group called Le Voyage that will be performing on the last Sunday night of every month. Um, an old friend, Mike Croswell, who does electronic music, is is having a program with the interesting title, Quiet Sounds. Um, and people can find out about all of these events uh, by going to the website and, and looking at the events page. So, And again, well, that's eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. .org, yep. And I know we're coming to the end of this first segment, but I, I find it very appealing that you're seeing arts and politics and community all being important in intersecting. Absolutely. Um, We really thought, Beth and I, that art and culture would be a great way to get people to tell their stories. And there are really so many ways that someone can sit there and be a storyteller. That's great. Someone can write a book. That's great. Someone may paint a painting or build an installation. Or We actually have a full-size board game at the library of the 1934 Minneapolis Teamster Strike that created right? by an artist named Keith Christensen. And people can come in and learn history by playing a board game. So there's so many ways to tell stories. And I love coming in and going downstairs. There's this beautiful mural that really tells the story of the history of the immigrants. Right. And, and experiencing the history through art on a wall is very engaging. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you feel like right away from the get-go, you're part of many stories. Right. And those stories are all about the people here in the East Side. Right. So with that, I'm going to let you know that in our next segment, we're going to be promoting the September 4th event, Salt of the Earth, which is going to be a great conversation. So you're not going to go away. You're going to stay with us. The event, Salt of the Earth, is going to be on Tuesday, September 4th. Um, We're going to be talking about a 1954 film that many people don't know about, but is a very powerful film that not only will be shown, but a great conversation as well. So you're listening to AM 950. The progressive voice of Minnesota in partnership today with the Eastside Freedom Library. Stay tuned. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. This is Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. They have energy-efficient products available for both residential and commercial properties. This spring, when we needed a company to take a look at a problem with our roof, I called the company I knew I could trust, Snap Construction. I've known Ryan, the owner at Snap Construction, for years, so I knew I could trust him. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their reviews online. They are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor online in the metro area. Over the years, Ryan has always said the same thing to me about his work. If we build it, shouldn't we be held accountable for the work indefinitely? He backed that statement up years ago when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts, Snap Construction at 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP, or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available. Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and designed jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Stages Theatre Company is turning 35 years young, and we invite you to join the celebration. Stages is one of the largest and most respected professional theatres for young audiences in the country, serving over 150,000 individuals annually through opportunities on stage, education classes, workshops, and in-school programs. Our most magnificent season is truly that. Built with young people, families, and classrooms in mind, and 
They stock beautiful, imaginative, and inspiring books and stories, encouraging young people to dream big, invent big, and invest in curiosity. Charlotte's Web, Mary Poppins Jr., Hidden Heroes, and Willy Wonka are just a few of the exciting productions we're proud to present in the coming season. Come celebrate the magnificence with us all season long. Visit us at stagestheater.org. That's stagestheater.org. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Welcome back to Connections radio show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and I'm glad you've made the connection and joining us today. Today we have Peter Ratcliffe, who is a co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library and who is my co-host. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited about our partnership with the Eastside Freedom Library, and I am looking forward to sharing over the next year and a half. We're looking at uh, doing some programming together, getting folks to know about the mission and things to do at the Eastside Freedom Library. The mission is to inspire solidarity. Just that alone feels good. You know, that there is an organization out there that really cares about solidarity, that advocates for justice and works towards equity for all. There are amazing books. How many books are at this library? We're at about 20,000 now. I was just stunned. I, I walked in and I saw all these books and they're all really focused on social justice, labor, Absolutely. immigrant. Um, yep. This is a powerful research library. Yes, it is. Yeah. You formerly were McAllister professor? Right. I taught history at McAllister for 30 years. Yes. And this seems to be sort of a celebration of mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Um, I watched people retire and not know what to do with their books. Um, the worst examples were people who left their books outside their doors and people picked them over like vultures picking bones out of the desert. And so we began to approach people um, who did work in social justice and labor and immigration um, who were downsizing. Um, Or we approached the kids of people, scholars, activists who had passed away. And and we asked them to donate their books to the library. So all of the books that we have were donated. And we have shelved them in the collections in which they were donated. So listeners could come in and visit High Berman's books or Tony Randolph's books or Paula Rabinowitz's books or Fred Ho's books or my teacher, David Montgomery, David's books. And many of these books have been written in. And so you can see what that person who collected them what he or she underlined or where they put exclamation marks in the margin or wrote various expletives in the margin and and really see how people engaged with the books that they spent time with. I think it's hard because there's an honoring of the book. There's Mm -hmm. the honoring of the ideas. There is a place where you can go and look at these books and research. But at the same time, it's counterbalanced with things that are happening now. Right. There are live events. Right. There are things if you want to be more of a passive researcher mm-hmm. and looking at this from the past. But there's also right now, how can we continue these ideas? Right. How are these ideas being played out in our community? And what ways do we celebrate that and support it? Right. And and so screening this film, Salt of the Earth, is a great example because we will pop up a display of books about Chicano history, the history of the border, uh, the history of farm workers, all that great labor and immigration history um, for people to look at as they prepare to sit down and watch the film or to engage with afterwards and to see that these things are all forms of knowledge and they're all connected. And thank you for bringing that up because that's what I wanted to make sure that we did talk about during this segment. And for those that are just joining us, Salt of the Earth is going to be is a film. It's showing on Tuesday, September 4th at 7 p.m. And this is about a 1954 group of filmmakers, writers, actors who were expelled from Hollywood during the Red Scare. But they came together to make a film about a 1949 strike of Latino and white zinc miners in Arizona. So unpack a little bit of that for me. Well, they they were members of a union called the Mine Mill and Smelter Workers Union. Um, 
And this was a period, uh, the 1950s, as you said, of the of the Red Scare of anti-communism. So and some it, people that were very good organizers, uh, right. as well as cinematographers and writers, Absolutely. had no place to really be doing their art. Right? Did they expect that this work would even be shown? Um, I think they hoped that it would be shown. As it turned out, um, the the film was blacklisted. So not only were the filmmakers uh, blacklisted, and many of the lead actors in the film, um, like Will Gear, who would go on to become Grandpa Walton. Uh, Will Gear plays the evil sheriff uh, in the film. Um, and many of the workers played themselves, because this was a very low-budget uh, project. Um, but um, the film itself was blacklisted. It's it's a great irony, um, as I've been digging around in the history of the film, to discover that this is the most viewed American-made film in the world. Seriously? Yes. More people around the world over the last 54 years have seen this film than any film made in the United States. Now, I would have bet Citizen Kane. No, just because that's got no. the popular, you know, people well, know about that. Yeah, but this was, you know, very popular in Eastern Europe, very popular in Cuba, um, really used in a lot of places to to tell a different story about the United States, a story where um, Mexican, and you know, and it's not even right to call them immigrants. Mm-hmm. These are people, as Rodolfo Acuna in his marvelous book, Occupied America, as Acuna points out in the book, these people didn't cross the border. The border crossed them. That this part of New Mexico had been part of Mexico until the the Mexican-American War of 1848, um, and it was taken uh, by the United States. And people became, quote-unquote, immigrants without moving an inch. Wow. And so these were the descendants of those people, and they were working in zinc mines um, in southern New Mexico, and there were also Anglo miners. And the corporation uh, tried to divide the workers from each other on racial grounds. And this very interesting union, the Mine Mill and Smelter Workers Union, um, which was also prominent in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, prominent in Montana, um, a union in the industries where copper, lead, and zinc were the primary products, um, and a union that got red-baited out of the AFL-CIO in the 1950s. They led this strike, and and it's not as if simply that they were heroes Because in the midst of the strike, they confronted this amazing challenge that the wives of the miners, both white and Mexican, came forward to the men and said, we live in these horrible company houses, we don't have hot water, we don't have indoor plumbing, Um, we want the union to make a demand that there should be indoor plumbing and better living conditions. And initially the men poo-pooed the women and said, well, maybe we'll deal with that the next time around in the contract. We have these wage and safety issues that are pressing. And, and I'm sure the wives took lightly, took, took that very lightly. I'm sure they were outraged at not being heard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, history dealt a different hand uh, to this community in that um, a judge issued an injunction saying that the miners could not pick it. And with that, oh. I'm going to leave a cliffhanger. Okay. So, spoiler alert. Oh, this all is right. a spo- all okay. right. We've got 30 seconds yep. before I have to go to the next segment, you know, yes. before we go to commercials. So, there's Come a judge. And find out. There's a judge, right? The right. judge has made a, a, an injunction about the picketing right. that is going to be key right. to what the women can do yep. to support this. Yep. So, and how the men get transformed. Aha. More to come. Listen in. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we'll tell you more in the next segment how that changed the course of the strike. Stay with us. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Guys, like having a place to live, eating food, wearing clothes, sending 639 texts a week on a shiny new phone? There's one thing that can help you get the money to do all of those things. It's called a job. 
If you're a guy turning 18, there's one important thing you need to do to make sure the job market is wide open for you. Register with the Selective Service System at SSS.gov. Failing to register with Selective Service would mean you'd not only be breaking the law, you'd also be unable to apply for federal jobs, many state and municipal jobs, and all kinds of job training programs the government offers. So guys, take a minute and register with the Selective Service. You'll keep your job prospects open. Otherwise, how are you going to get the basketball shoes with full-length responsive cushioning and an outsole cutout for low-profile impact protection? Take that minute. Go to sss.gov and register with Selective Service and keep all your options open. Remember, it's quick, it's easy, it's the law. Finding the best foods the Twin Cities has to offer is easy with eatlocalminnesota.com. Offering the top local and independently owned restaurants, eatlocalminnesota.com has everything from burger joints to cocktails and fine dining. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club invites you to check out their beautiful facilities for your next special occasion. Book your wedding reception, retirement party, business dinner, or other special event with confidence, knowing their expert staff and award-winning chef will make it a big hit with your guests. Call today to get a quote, 763-571-9020. Lowry Hill Meats, located at 1934 Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis, are friends with their farmers. Relying on regionally sourced, clean, quality meats, they take pride in their aged beef, skin-on pork, house-made sausages, and air-dried poultry. Their house-made sandwiches should not be missed. Find them online at LowryHillMeats.com. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tom Hartman here for All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that you save more if you wait, but waiting to switch can actually cost you more. While tax rebates make solar affordable, those rebates are often limited and decrease over time. So when you wait, you risk losing some of the incentives that make solar so easy to afford today. And besides, the sooner you get your all-energy solar system, the sooner you reduce or even eliminate that high electricity bill. Make the switch today at allenergysolar.com. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. This week, we're talking about the Eastside Freedom Library. I have my co-host, Peter Ratcliffe. Welcome. Thank you. He is the co-executive director for the Eastside Freedom Library, and we've been talking about Salt of the Earth. It's a film that was made in the 1950s. Uh, It's going to be airing Tuesday, September 4th at the Eastside Freedom Library. Do you want to give the address for that? That's 1105 Greenbrier Street. It's uh, one two blocks south of Maryland, one block east of Payne Avenue on St. Paul's sprawling and diverse east side. And you can also go to the eastsidefreedomlibrary.org for more information. So for those of you who've been listening, we've been talking about this film. This film... Um, was done by a group of filmmakers and writers and actors who were actually expelled from Hollywood during the Red Scare. They came together to write about this and film this 1949 strike. So this was the strike of Latino and white zinc miners in Arizona. And we were just hearing about how the women had said, oh, wait a minute, can you also add in? We've got terrible water. We want better water. We want to be able to wash our clothes. We want to wash our... And then the men were going, well, we got other things that are more important. So then with that, tell me, Peter, what happened with the judge? So the judge issued an injunction that said that only a handful of miners could pick it, which would make them ineffective. And the women came to the union meeting, and one of the women said, well, if you read this injunction carefully you will see that it only says that the miners can't pick it. Nowhere does it say that the miners' wives cannot pick it. They're not miners. Right. right. They have a vested interest, perhaps, but they are not the miners. And so they confront the men at the union meeting and provide an, an option to the men. You can lose the strike or you can allow the women to take over the picket lines. 
And there's really a great scene in the film where the men debate uh, what they should do. Um, and eventually they decide um, to yield uh, to the women. Now, that immediately has two consequences. One is that the women experience power in a public space, which is a new experience for them. Well, and even before, they were smart enough to, to raise their hand and go, oh, yeah. we have an idea. Oh, yeah. Here, yes. Here's something to be considering, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is this is a powerful little you know exception we found in this that we may be able to play a role here. Yes, yeah. But I think that we see that what their experience on the picket line itself mm-hmm. is an empowering experience. Wonderful. And at the same time, the men have to take over the domestic duties that the women had been performing. That must have been a new experience for them. In a big way. Uh, And they immediately discover how important indoor plumbing and hot water is. Sure. And and so they become transformed in an appreciation of the unpaid labor that the women have been performing. And so this remarkable process of empowerment of the women, a softening of the men, um, a new understanding developing among them and between them, Um, And this great transformation takes place. And this is a true story. This really happened. And are some of the people that actually were part of that uh, strike part of the film then? Right. So there was no money to really hire actors. And so there were a number of white actors uh, who took the roles as bad guys, the CEO of the company, the sheriff, um, because you couldn't get them to play themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then many of the Latino miners and Anglo miners played themselves in the film. Isn't that wonderful? Um, it's a remarkable thing. And, so it's and, almost you know, bordering a documentary. Almost yeah. bordering. Yeah. On do- but it, it has a fantastic uh, musical score. Um, and, and so everything about it is just stunning. Well, you, you'd mentioned that this has gotten more play than any other film. Yeah. What is it that you think captured the imagination of the world with this? Well, I think that, that it addressed race, class, and gender, not in 2018, but in 1954 and, and thereafter, in very modern terms. It was an uplifting story. Um, you know, so many, we, we think of stories. Films, stories like Michael Moore's Roger and Me or Barbara Koppel's film that won the Academy Award, The American Dream about the Hormel strike. And these are all films that end in defeats. This is a film that ends in a victory and and not only a victory in the here and now, but proving the possibility of human transformation and improvement. And so it's more inspiring. I, I challenge people who will come and see it. More inspiring probably than any film that that they have ever seen and needed more today in an era of Me Too, in an era of hating immigrants, in an era of beating up on labor. This is a story that needs to be witnessed today more than almost any other story I could think of. Oh, and I hear you share that I think about Labor Day. You know, Labor Day is coming up. Talk to me about how this helps us even better understand why we honor Labor Day and what's important Mm -hmm. about Labor Day. Well, first of all, there's this parallel irony that Labor Day was essentially created in the United States, May 1st, 1886, when workers went on strike in Chicago at the McCormick Harvester Works for the eight-hour day. Mm -hmm. That was really the first May Day, and solidarity with those workers in Chicago led to a national holiday in the United States and around the world. But it was not a legally recognized holiday in the United States. And in 1892, Grover Cleveland, the president of the United States, made the first Monday in September – Labor Day. So it was this kind of uh, bait and switch uh, by the American government to say, okay, we'll give you a holiday, um, but it isn't the holiday that you've already instantiated for yourself through this strike and solidarity in, in the month of May. We'll give it to you in September. And so a holiday that was. Was in- it to 
downplay the importance oh, somehow? Oh, of course. To just sort of end of summer, people are just right. Like, yeah. Right. And, and, and like most American holidays, you know, it, it either becomes about recreation or mm-hmm. consumption. Right. And um, meanwhile, May 1st as a holiday becomes Labor Day all over the world. It is. And, and is highly celebrated. Highly. And, yeah. Yep. And respected and revered. Yep. And, we're the most important country that does not celebrate Labor Day on May 1st. Um, and so, you know, maybe if there had been no Labor Day, American workers would have insisted on May 1st as Labor Day. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they were swapped uh, the first Monday in September uh, became the deal in the United States. So, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of sad that we don't have the same Labor Day and the Labor Day that American workers themselves created. But... It is an opportunity to recognize the importance of work and workers in creating the society and the world in which we live, uh, whether they're creating um, culture and art or creating cars and buildings, um, whether they're taking care of the sick and elderly, whether they're educating children. Everything that we depend on comes from the work of working people. And so Labor Day is an opportunity to stop and recognize that in some way. What are some suggestions that you have about us making those considerations on Labor Day? What are the things that you think would be good for people to take a pause and and really mm-hmm. uh, honor the laborer? Mm. One of the things that we've built at the Eastside Freedom Library is a fabulous collection of children's books. And there are now more and more children's books like Click Clack Moo um, that honor work and workers. And I would encourage people to find a book to share with their kids or grandkids that puts workers at the center of the story. And workers as they are today, that is, people who are people of color, as well as white, people who speak languages other than English, people who have different genders than we might think of when we think of workers, um, to really appreciate the diversity of who workers are and the importance of the work that they do, and to inculcate that recognition um, in their children and grandchildren. And So read a book to your kids and grandkids. I love that you suggest story, because oh, story... Yeah. So much is woven through all of the Eastside Freedom Library Absolutely. that celebrates story. So tell yes. the story to a child. Help yeah. them feel the importance and the honoring. Yeah. We've just submitted a grant proposal to the National Endowment for the Humanities mm-hmm. to do a project where we would ask immigrants in the neighborhood to bring a tool to the library and tell a story about how they use that tool. And then we would create a kind of museum exhibit of the tool, a photograph of the person who tells the story, and a recording of the story that guests can come and listen to. And we think this is a way, again, of building those bridges across boundaries by having Karen, Hmong, Somali, Oromo, Eritrean, Bhutanese, Salvadoran, Mexican, Anglo-European descended, African-Americans from the South. What is our tool? Right. What is our tool? We all have tools. Yours is the microphone and, uh-huh. and, 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 the, ear, and the earphones. Yes. And, um, you know, we all have tools that we make things with. There's sort of a sadness for me, though, on Labor Day as well, because of, it seems, the demise of the strength of the unions. That seems like we don't have the same commitment. What needs to happen there? Well, I, I think that, you know, we, we need a culture shift. Um, I think what I see in the work that we're doing at the Eastside Freedom Library with unions, we had a book group this summer with, with workers from public employee unions, to see they're renewing a commitment that workers who choose to join the union need to have conversations with workers who have not yet chosen to join the union and to explain what how much more they can accomplish if they stick together than if they try to work individually. So there's a renewed commitment that's happening kind of below the radar across the labor movement in the United States. And um, everybody who used to be in a union and, and now has lost that, they know what difference it made to be in a union. It, it made the middle class. It, it, it supported 
the opportunity to rise above and be able to have an upwardly mobile opportunity. And But it also gave people an opportunity to see their stories validated. Yes. To not be invisible, mm-hmm. but to be recognized for their contributions to making their entire community's lives better. Which brings us back to the mission of the East Side Freedom Library, which I just love, inspires solidarity, advocate for justice, and work toward equity for all. And you celebrate that by having a research collection, by having musical events, by having storytelling events, uh, by having opportunities to celebrate art, uh, and bringing people together with a shared story, with a shared vision. Right, and I, I think most importantly, we want to communicate the idea that while it's great for people to come in and access the knowledge that other people have created, it's also an opportunity to come in and create new knowledge yourself. It's very much in the present, as well as being able to access the past and learn from the past. Well, you're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're on Connections Radio Show. I want you to go to the eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. There's even a 3D tour. Yes. Go on it. It's cool. And then go there. We'll be right back after a few commercials. We're looking forward to talking to you soon. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Stages Theater Company is turning 35 years young, and we invite you to join the celebration. Stages is one of the largest and most respected professional theaters for young audiences in the country, serving over 150,000 individuals annually through opportunities on stage, education classes, workshops, and in-school programs. Our most magnificent season is truly that. Built with young people, families, and classrooms in mind, and based on beautiful, imaginative, and inspiring books and stories, encouraging young people to dream big, invent big, and invest in curiosity. Charlotte's Web, Mary Poppins Jr., Hidden Heroes, and Willy Wonka are just a few of the exciting productions we're proud to present in the coming season. Come celebrate the magnificence with us all season long. Visit us at stagestheater.org. That's stagestheater.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblot from Shamblot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. And I'm Rachel Shamblot. Did you know a lot of people are afraid of the dentist? You don't need to be afraid of my dad. He makes going to the dentist comfortable and even fun. We don't care if you're a dental regular or haven't seen a dentist in years. We just want to make you comfortable and get you out of pain. If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores, food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at NaturalTwinCities.com. That's NaturalTwinCities.com. I'm Wendy Jones, Executive Director of Minnesota Recovery Connection, inviting everyone to join us for the annual Walk for Recovery on Saturday, September 15th from 9 to 1 at Lake of the Isles in Minneapolis. People can and do recover from substance use disorder. We need you to help us break the stigma of addiction and show the world that recovery works. There will be a DJ, live music, food trucks, a photo booth, and activities for the kids from 9 to 1, and the walk around Lake of the Isles starts at 11. Sign up today. There is no registration fee. Take this opportunity to invest in recovery and donate to the walk. Your financial support helps Minnesota Recovery Connection strengthen the recovery community through peer-to-peer support, public education, and advocacy. Most importantly, though, please join us for the walk and put a face on recovery. Bring your friends and family to Lake of the Isles on Saturday, September 15th to celebrate recovery. To register, visit walk.minnesotarecovery.org. You're listening to a special presentation of a labor-focused Connections radio show. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and today I have a co-anchor. <laughs> He's my co-host, and he will be co-hosting several shows in the upcoming year. Peter Ratcliffe, welcome. 
Thank you. You've done a marvelous job today. Thank you. Thank you. You are also the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. Yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what uh, we've been talking and, about. And I have to pinch myself sometimes <laughs> that, that, that we have this beautiful space. And ironically or appropriately, that this is a Carnegie Library building. And I like to tell groups when they come to the library to appreciate that this building was paid for by the sweat and blood and labor of immigrant iron miners, steel workers, coal miners, who made Andrew Carnegie the richest man in America in the early 20th century. They paid for this building that we're in. And you have a variety of events. You have not only this beautiful research library, but you've got events that are music, film, storytelling, uh, workshops. In particular, today we've been talking about Salt of the Earth, uh, and that's going to be a film that you'll be showing Tuesday, September 4th, from uh, starting at 7 p.m. And this is about that 1954 group of filmmakers who did a film of the 1949 strike. Uh, and that was Latino and white zinc miners in Arizona. For those who have a heart for our um, iron ore country of the north um, and our own commitment to mining, um, this is a good a good film for Minnesotans to watch. It certainly is. And, tell, tell, and, and also, you know, given how significant uh, Mexican and other Central mm-hmm. American immigrants and descendants of immigrants have become to our communities, this is a very great opportunity for us to listen to each other's stories and, and develop more of an appreciation of them. So you're not only going to be showing the film, there will be a conversation afterwards. Oh, yeah. There, and the conversation will be led by this marvelous young woman, uh, Lisette Gutierrez, uh, who is a postdoctoral fellow in American Studies at McAllister College. Uh, Lisette grew up in East Los Angeles, uh, went to Grinnell College, earned a Ph.D. at uh, Washington State University, and writes about the role of gossip in uh, Mexican immigrant women's organizing. How fascinating. Well, this is a perfect film with the women being able to go, wait a minute, I'm going to stand up here. How does that translate into building community? Right, right. So we'll get an opportunity to engage with her, and, and she, as a good teacher, will help us all have a conversation with each other. Um, and we will all come out knowing more than we went in knowing. What's wonderful is you don't always know what you're going to talk about you know, right. in, in something like this or what right. strikes people. But you do want people to feel encouraged as they're watching the film that whatever strikes them to be able to open that up for a group discussion. Right. Um, we, we are definitely uh, into conversation uh, I hate to use the word civility because mm-hmm. I find that civility is often used to shut people down. Sure. Um, and, and we like to think of ourselves as a place where people can have difficult conversations. The courageous conversation. Yeah, and where people are even willing to be uncomfortable. Um, and by having their own ideas tested or their own experiences expanded – um, and we like to think that some of that is facilitated by the marvelous books that we have that really bear the spirit of, of the people who collected them. It's interesting you should say that because when I think back of walking in for the first time, you almost do feel a presence oh, that yeah. those books aren't just books. There yeah. are – I won't say ghosts, but there's a sense of ownership of – of pride that these are important works that are not just books on a shelf. They, right. are, they were owned and supported and loved and cared about right. for the ideas that they represent. Right. I don't have any trouble saying that there are ghosts. Oh, good. These good. are good ghosts yeah, yeah, that yeah. Haunt, Civil rights. Haunt, yeah. haunt the East Side Freedom Library. The fact – so um, we have Tony Randolph's books. Tony worked at Minnesota Public Radio for many years mentored young women of color moving into broadcasting. Um, Tony's books were brought to us by her, bro- her, her younger brothers. Um, and we were one day having a conversation in the library about racism. Um, and Tony's brothers walked in to visit her books. And we invited them. I explained who they were to the people sitting around a circle, and we invited them to join the conversation. And they spent the next hour and a half in conversation with us. And isn't that powerful? I mean, I can just imagine how wonderful it feels to pull out 
a book someone owned. Open it up and see the writings in the the pages and that there is a tactile connection back to someone you loved. And if even not related, you might just love the person for their ideas and and that they held and cherished this book. Yes. That that has a resonance and an energy as well. Oh, yeah. Just uh, two days ago, a woman came in with six books written by her great uncle, a guy who had taken the name Max Nomad, uh, who was an immigrant from Russia in the early part of the 20th century, and, and he wrote books about anarchism, and she brought us a set of his books, which were weather-beaten oh, and old and marvelous. Um, <laughs> they fit in well with the family. <laughs> they certainly do, and they will have, they will have a happy and useful home from, it, from now forward. So again, I'm going to encourage our audience... Go and take a look at this wonderful library, the eastsidefreedomlibrary.org. You can go there, see all the wonderful things. But I also want you to be thinking about Labor Day. And Labor Day is a time to take a pause, be able to share with children stories, and and reflect on, on how important labor is to our country. Uh, I also want you to be going to this wonderful event on September 4th. Um, It does take place at 7 o'clock. Great film. Bring your reactions. Come ready to have a conversation. And it's free. And it's even better. It's free. And I know that you like conversation because you're listening to AM 950. And we're all about having a really good conversation. And I'm excited because in the year ahead, we are going to be featuring the Eastside Freedom Library, the discussions we hope to uh, support with discussions on air on this show. We'll also be be promoting events and activities. And I want you to consider Eastside Freedom Library as a really extension of the support that we want to have happen with AM 950 um, out in the community, supporting the community, supporting the Eastside. The Eastside is a, a wonderful place for us all to invest in going to restaurants, going to businesses, celebrating the community that's there. And I want to thank uh, our dear friend Peter, who's going to be my co-host for these shows and have us get to know the Eastside Freedom Library, but also get to know that whole community. It's a very special community that you get an introduction to when you go to the library. Thank you so much, Lori, for inviting me and welcoming me. and, And thank you, everyone who's listening Um, It's so important that we're connected to each other, and hence the show is called Connections. Exactly. And today we want to honor Labor, Labor Day, um, a time for reflection, a time to to respect. Um, You mentioned civil conversation. I think the bottom line is respectful conversation. Mm -hmm. And when we know each other's stories, there's more empathy, there's more understanding, and ideally – as the vision of the Eastside Freedom Library suggests, solidarity and then advocating for justice and equity towards all. So thank you for being part of Connections and thank you for being part of the Eastside Freedom Library today. We'll look forward to having you join us next week. And until then, have a great day and may you find all the wonderful connections that are there for you.